Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Oconus the Contractor's Life. From the foothills of northwestern Washington State, I'm your host, Scott Dresser. As promised, and as obliquely referenced many times previously, this episode will begin finally that long journey down the road of my experiences as a private security contractor overseas, uh, specifically in the Middle East, or in the jargon of the industry, Oconus. And I suppose that my story begins uh, sometime in the summer of my graduation from high school in the summer of 1979. Uh, that summer, on a challenge or a dare, I went with a friend to Alaska, Dutch Harbor to be precise, to work on a craft processor. Uh, later that year in the winter, I swore my oath of allegiance to the United States Marine Corps. And after graduating MCRD San Diego, I had been attached to the first FSSG uh, and also a member of a Marine Expeditionary Unit uh, located out of uh, Camp Del Mar, a small camp on the other side of I-5 along the coast, uh, just north of Del Mar, um, adjacent to Camp Pendleton, but still considered technically part of Camp Pendleton. So fast forward approximately six months and I was selected to go to Okinawa with a promise that if I did well, I would come home for a month, come back to Del Mar after that for one, two months prior to shipping off to Panama. Now, I had been in the USMC for almost one year by the time uh, the base sergeant major uh, met me in uh, what we call the old man's um, office or the base commander's office to tell me that the reserve component that I had contracted with from the start had finally won out and that without the base commander's signature along with mine, uh, but it didn't matter because he wasn't there, that I had to return to my home Washington base in Tacoma with the reserves. Um, and the commander at the time, a colonel who was according to the Sergeant Major on vacation, was not due back for another seven days. My flight was scheduled to go home in four days. <laughs> Lucky me, huh? <laughs> anyway, so during the drive from SeaTac Airport to what was then known as the USN and MCRC, or the United States Naval and Marine Corps Reserve Center, I relayed to the staff sergeant who had picked me up, uh, telling him what the uh, sergeant major told me, and that as long as I did it within 30 days of arrival, that they were obliged to go along with my request to go back to active duty. The staff sergeant acknowledged that. Um, but he asked me to give them a chance, give them a month. Just one drill was all they were asking for. And if I didn't like it, they would let me go. Uh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> you know, whatever. It's only 30 days. Um, so I checked in there at the USN and uh, MCRC there in Tacoma, Washington. At that time, it was. It, it, it's no longer there. Um, now, I don't remember if you dropped me off at home after we were done checking in or family picked me up. You know, this was some time ago, but that was that. And the rest, as they say, is history. So by the time my honeymoon back home was over, so was my chance to go back to active duty. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, so but it wasn't all bad. We celebrated Thanksgiving, me, my brothers, my mom and my dad and my other dad, um, who I had no idea was in town. There was plenty of interesting fun and uh, to some extent, some cool guy training and instruction, uh, not only in the state of Washington, but other states as well. Um, you know, 
then there was plenty of the dry, boring, quote-unquote, instruction and training, uh, the kind of stuff that you do when you're in garrison. So if you're familiar with that, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so during that time period and into and beyond the time in my reserves and IRR, for those who don't know, inactive ready reserves, I became involved in a number of rather, let's just call it unsavory actions and events, uh, befriended by a number of dubious personalities. Uh, none of these things do I really care to go into and recount, but that's kind of what happened uh, for a number of reasons, uh, disillusionment and a lot of other things. Uh, but perhaps, perhaps, uh, my one redeeming moment during that time frame was that woman that I met in that moment in 1988, that very young and beautiful woman that later became my wife still is <laughs> lucky me. Right. Uh, now if we fast forward past all the filth then I eventually skirted and shirked and was able to get beyond and past, um, we fast forward a long time, summer, 2006, I was fast burning out as an IC or independent contractor delivery driver uh, for mostly pharmaceutical pharmaceuticals at the time. Um, and the guy I was working with that week asked me if I had ever considered being a private security contractor overseas. Well, one year later, I arrived at the Kuwait International Airport. That's right. I contracted with the company that by that went by the name of uh, CSA um, or uh, combat support associates. They were at the time a part of the umbrella group uh, known then uh, as ACOM. And ACOM is still around. Uh, they do lots of generalized and specific and specialized stuff. But CSI, CSA had begun dissolving around 2009. And some people told me it started be happening before then. Uh, a lot of stuff was going on. Offices raided by the FBI. And of course, theirs wasn't the only company that was being raided or investigated congress had gotten into things um and by 2010 and 2011 they were basically defunct um and that's a whole different story into itself i am intimately knowledgeable of what happened with that and how it all came to be um and i will in later episodes expound on that uh without mentioning names um but suffice it to say that uh, among a great many other things i cautioned then Back then, uh, as I do now still to this day, to be careful what you wish for, because you might just get it. Um, <clears throat> and in, in fact, a lot of people did. So CSA, for all of its faults and quirks, was actually a decent company. They were good to me anyway. Um, from a purely administrative standpoint, no issues, mostly anyway. Uh, my first day on the job was after less than three hours of sleep following a transatlantic flight. And for the next two weeks or so, we received school-type instruction from a forward or rather a rearward-facing uh, warehouse-type uh, facility at Camp Aerojam in Kuwait. And when we weren't processing on Aerojam, we were processing through the myriad of functions that we had to do uh, to get everything cleared and taken care of through, through Kuwait, uh, throughout Kuwait. Uh, this also included our PT day and our firearms calls, which were kind of interesting um you've probably heard some of those things where um i'm not sure how they phrase it but there's different ways of phrasing it but uh, let's just say not everybody should have passed let's just put it that way okay um in fact a lot of, a lot of people were asked um on that note 
which they preferred, okay, um, chicken or beef, aisle or window, <laughs> okay. Uh, but the reasons ran the gamut for the, uh, so from so-called uh, medical conditions to outright theft, lying, um, getting their hands caught in the cookie jar, a lot of stuff with contracts going on, abandoning posts, and a host of acts not quite suitable for prime time. Uh, but I will attempt to address uh, many of those at a later time. Um, one question uh, that is often asked is what was my most memorable moment overseas? And uh, man, there's a lot of them. Okay. And, you know, like a lot of people, a lot of things, I, I don't remember everything, certainly not with a lot of clarity. Um, but since we're kind of trying to start out in the, in the beginning, uh, there's three, I mean, there's a lot of memorable moments from Kuwait, but there's three that kind of stand out. There were many, but three that kind of stood out. And two of them arguably were major incidents. They, they uh, caused a lot of changes <laughs> to do, to, to, and, and folks weren't real happy with it because I was involved in it. And I didn't do it intentionally, but it's just the way things worked out. Um, but that said, there were the, the two that stand out, uh, and one which, by all accounts, after relaying it to others, uh, they say should have been my death knell. And I will attempt to accurately recall uh, those. So the first one, uh, that I recollect was, uh, the winter of 2007. I don't remember the month exactly October, November, somewhere in there. We might've even, even been in December by that point. Um, when, when this one occurred. So, um, I mean, it was cold enough that liquid on the ground was freezing. So, I mean, we, you know, as the sun was rising, even, I mean, we'd walk around and what was a a water puddle, believe it or not, in the desert was now ice. I mean, just rock hard ice. So, um, so I'm standing at a security kiosk on uh, what would have been an, the, the single entry point into Airgen. I'm working it with another guy. And we're standing there and we see a vehicle, maybe 100 to 150 yards, probably 100 yards away from us. And there's a bright light that's being powered by a generator shining on the vehicle. And there's another one that's, that's kind of shining on the kiosk, but it doesn't really light us up. But you can see where we're standing. And after a couple minutes of gesturing to him to come this way, because um, he's at a stop sign, so at least he's obeying the stop sign, um, he's still not moving. So I'm volunteered or I volunteer to go out there and approach the person to see what's going on. Uh, so as I get there, um, at some point I, f I can recognize it as a car. I know it's a car to this day. I don't remember the color. Uh, it was a light color. So whether it was a light gray or a silver or white, um, I don't recall, but it was something in that, that color spectrum. And as I approached and I got up to the driver's side of the door of the vehicle, um, things started going off in my brain. I started recognizing little signs and little indicators. Um, and the, I, I suppose the thing that I noticed first that there was glaring um, is that the vehicle was canted like this. I mean, the ass end was within striking distance of scraping on the ground. And this is a, an asphalt road. Uh, you know, anyway, so 
I'm, I'm talking to this person. I'm trying to get them to roll down the window. Got my M4 in this hand, roll down the window, bring it down. I'm trying to talk to the guy. I'm within a couple feet, a few feet, I'm trying to get closer so I can better see inside the vehicle, see what's going on. Talking with the guy, asking him questions. Um, and he's intermittently arguing with the passenger in the seat next to him. And I couldn't see clearly who or what was in the back seat, but I thought I saw people back there, but I, to this day, I'm not certain that I saw people back there. They could have been mannequins. Uh, Cause I didn't really see a lot of movement, but I saw what looked like figures back there. Um, so I'm talking to him, asking him, you know, what's your business here? Asking him for his identification, yada, yada. Um, and he doesn't really have any good answers for me and can't explain why he's there. Um, but he's dark, his eyes are darting around. He's looking like he's looking for something. And, uh, so I asked him, you know, what brought him here? You know, and he says, well, they were traveling as a family, visiting friends in Kuwait on their way back to Saudi Arabia, where they came from. And they couldn't remember how to get back there. And I'm like, what? <laughs> really? Um, so you were able to get here, but on your way back, you couldn't remember how to get there. So of all places, instead of calling somebody or looking at the abundant signage that tells you how to go to get to where you're going to Saudi Arabia, you see this sign and you're going to pull off and come to this military base and ask for directions. And he basically said, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, uh, so, you know, we're, we're having this back and forth. And uh, finally, at some point, I just, you know, I've had enough. None of this adds up. I'm getting really concerned with this vehicle. This guy is perspiring profusely and he's having this intermittent argument, loud, violent argument with this person in the seat next to him. So I noticed that my radio is squelching and I'm thinking this is probably not a good thing. So I turned it off. I mean, I can't, the communication with, between me and the guy at the kiosk was worse than between us at the kiosk and the rest of the people on the base and other places, which was off and on very spotty at best where we were at out where I was at. It was mostly just squelch. I turned it off in case there's an IED. You don't know. Um, so, you know, all these things are going through my mind. Uh, my spider senses are tingling. The hairs are standing up all over me. My, my skin is tingling all the things that, you know, all the bad things are going through. I, I this is not a good scenario. Nothing's adding up. Um, I start walking back. My weapon is poised. I'm telling him he, you know, for the nth time, he needs to turn hard left, come down this road, go back behind me on the road out and go out, get on the highway, turn right and just keep driving. He'll see the signs for Saudi Arabia. So this goes on. I'm getting louder, more vocal about this whole thing. Um, and, and I'm backing up as I can continuing to holler louder and louder at this guy. Um, and I'm going down into a, um, a man-made dugout pit, a very large one, hoping that I can get far enough down in a way that if it goes, boom, I, I, I won't get hurt. Um, finally, at some point he does start to comply and he does start to move slowly. I shift position because he's too close to me now. And, and all these thoughts that have gone through my mind, it's like, <laughs> if it goes off, there's nothing I can do about it. It's over. Okay. So at this point, I'm just relying on him being a good citizen as he, he does. He 
finally makes his way out. And I stand there for minutes, three minutes, five minutes, whatever it is, until I'm certain that I can no longer see the taillights in this vehicle and that he hasn't tried to do a sneaky Pete and try to come back around. So as I turn around and go back to the kiosk, looking over my shoulder, turning and stopping and smoking a cigarette, I smoked then. Uh, and that cigarette was the best cigarette I've had in a long time. Uh, so I make my way back to the kiosk. My partner asked me, what the hell was that all about? I tell him, and he says, no way. I said, yeah. He goes, dude, you are so lucky. He goes, I'm telling you right now, that thing was probably filled with hundreds of pounds of explosives. I said, yeah, I, I kind of know. Um, and I didn't know what else to really say after that, man. I was just, my mind was just awash with things. Um, I was just, uh, for whatever reason, whatever was really up, whatever that was all about, um, it turned out just fine. Still here, obviously. <laughs> it didn't go off. Um, so that was probably of the things that happened when I was in Kuwait, which was my first contract, um, that was probably of the things that I was involved in directly or indirectly was probably the one that I remember most, most it, it, it triggers those, you know, those things that, you know, you, you remember things. So, but I try not to think about it much. It's not as bad now as it used to be, but that was probably the most memorable moment <clears throat> that I had in Kuwait. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, you know, I, I was just glad to be alive, <laughs> still glad to be alive. Um, it feels good to be standing up vertical, you know? Um, so then the other major incident in Kuwait that I was directly involved in, um, it was in the morning. It was approximately 5, 5.30 a.m. local time. And I'm working along some other CSA contractors. We're at uh, what is the first major, not the first, but the first major security checkpoint for in, inbound uh, workers, people that, that belong there, people that that supposed to have a CAC card or some other sort of credential where we're just kind of going through the motions. So even though there's plenty of security apparatuses going on, you know, everything should be hunky dory. And most of the time it was, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Um, so, but this morning, uh, as we were approaching wind down time, uh, so, you know, probably closer to five 30. So, I'm working this checkpoint with the other guys and uh, this, and you know, I'm doing my thing with these vehicles and I noticed two or three vehicles down. There's somebody trying to get my attention, waving their hands, put the hand out the window, trying to get the head out the window. And I'm like, this is odd. So I keep my eyes on them as, as I'm doing my thing. And I, at one point I noticed that it's a female driver and the other person is also a female driver. So there's two of them and they're almost frantic. Um, and nobody seems to be paying attention to them, but me, I'm like, okay, just relax. They get up here and, and I get them to calm down and I'm talking with them. And the driver tells me, uh, this dude that's in the car directly behind him, um, uh, has been following them since they left their apartment that morning. I said, okay, no problem. So I checked their credentials, just made sure everything was good. I, they had, everything was in order on you go. Uh, I do my thing. I stop the guy. I get in front of his vehicle, get him to stop. 
So, you know, you learn to do this, not this, because a lot of places around the world outside of America, that means, hi, how you doing? Welcome. We're friends. And they just keep on going. So you got to do the stop. That means stop. They kind of know what that means. Um, so I got them to stop. Um, I come around, come up to the driver's side window, get him to roll down his window. We're talking. We're having this exchange. <clears throat> and I notice he's sweating profusely. I'm like, what is it with, with you know, anyway, <laughs> he's sweating profusely. But nothing else is setting off any alarm bells. There's no smells. Not, there's nothing funky about the car. And that doesn't mean that they couldn't have played with the suspension. But, you know, everything else checks out. Problem is he didn't, he claims he didn't have any identification. Claims he didn't have a driver's license. Well, that's a big no-no in Kuwait. Be driving without a driver's license. He didn't have anything, no pictures, no, he didn't have anything. It's like, all right, okay. <clears throat> you know, and in the meantime, guys are, you know, I can hear them saying they, you know, speed it up. They want me to finish this thing up because it's a high traffic flow place and they want to keep things moving. But I've I knew there was something going on. Something had to be done. This this wasn't right. So I kind of step out in front of the vehicle just enough that he can't get past me. I tell him to come over to this turnout that we have for vehicles where we have further questions. We want to talk to them. And they're, once they get in there, it's kind of almost impossible for them to get out. Uh, so as he starts moving, <clears throat> I kind of jumped the gun and I started moving in the same direction he was turning. And then he quickly turned hard right and tamped it and took off. Just, just barely misgrazing me. I was like, oh man. Well, you know, to this day, I'm still not sure whether I should have just been in front of the vehicle. He probably would have just run me right over. I don't know. I turn, drop to a knee, take the position. I aim in. I'm looking through the window and I got my sight squarely on him right back here in the small part of the neck, right here at this base of the head, through the window, got it. Taking up the slack on the reset, I've taken off the safety, ready to go. I'm aiming down, I got a clear shot. I'm just super laser focused. I mean, this is a clear shot, I got it. And it's like, out of nowhere, this very soft, quiet, but very loud resonating voice said no don't shoot. I'm like, what the, f I've never heard this before. And it's really more of a feeling, but I could hear it anyway. Fuck shit. Okay. Whatever. So what else can I do? He's coming up. The road is shaped uh, in a serpentine. Okay. There's many curves you got to go through and there's small, they're not T walls, but they're the, the short ones, like the four footers that kind of serpentine around until you get to this uh, final checkpoint. It's kind of like covered tunnels where we search the vehicles. <clears throat> and I think I got to do something. Tire shot. I'll shoot off the tires. Easy. He's not going to go very far. People are going to hear it. The whole base is going to erupt and this guy isn't going to go anywhere. That's great. And then for whatever reason, it's like the voice, not as loudly, but still told me, no, don't. I was like, oh, shit. Now I'm not choking. I'm not freezing. I'm warm all over. I feel good. I'm super laser focused in, but it's like, shit, the voice is telling me, don't do it. <clears throat> All right. I get up. I hear everybody freaking out, yelling, what's going on? <clears throat> I can see everybody's in the vehicles freaking out. They're stopping them. Everybody's getting down, doing their thing, getting out, running for cover, whatever they're doing. I'm hollering, call it in, call it in. This guy just blew by. 
I said, call it in. <clears throat> I don't remember, you know, how I phrased, but call it in, let them know they got to stop him before he gets there. Cause I don't know that he doesn't have explosives in there. I don't know what's going on. Uh, before the vehicle actually arrived at the tunnels, <clears throat> he had called it in. Um, and by the time he got in, as I recall later hearing, they had cleared it out. Uh, so days later, as time went on, days later, I'm hearing the reports. Turns out the guy was just a local uh, Kuwaiti citizen. He was all drunk. He was liquored up and he was smitten with these girls and he claims he was just having fun. <laughs> he was just having fun with them. Didn't mean any harm. Um, and all they found in the search of him and his vehicle uh, was paraphernalia and a lot of it in the trunk of his vehicle. Uh, that he had brought to the base. <clears throat> this apparently he was a regular there. Uh, whatever, whoever the people were that were receiving what he was bringing, whether it was the magazines, alcohol, you name it. He had it and this was a regular thing. <clears throat> so it turns out it was a good thing I didn't shoot the guy. Shooting the tires in hindsight might not have been a big deal, but as it turns out, you know, an action against a local Kuwaiti at that time was, you know, I mean, you, you know, I probably would have been cleared because of the way the circumstances, the way everything worked out, I probably would have been cleared. It would have been okay. So days went on. It came back on to me. Uh, they were saying, you know, dresser, had you prevented that guy from making that incursion, you could have written your own ticket within this company because nothing even remotely like this has happened for years. You'd have been a hero. You could have written your own ticket. And I'm like, wow. Okay. So in the meantime, you're telling me I'm a pariah because none of the supervisors around here wants to own up that they did things wrong. They didn't respond. They certainly didn't respond properly. They didn't take this seriously along with some of the other things I've complained about. And now I'm the fall guy. And basically that's what I was. I was the fall guy, <laughs> you know, um, not a big deal. They transferred me um, to uh, another place. January, February in 08. Uh, I believe I went to Beering, which was at the northern end of Kuwait, this side of the uh, Iraq border. I was there a week or two. Then they moved me to Virginia, which is just a little bit further south of, of Beering. And that was fine. It was peaceful. It was quiet. We had some stuff there that I'll talk about later. Um, <laughs> uh, there were some memorable moments there too, but the one that uh, probably brought me the greatest amount of notoriety, I guess, is the way it was put. Um, in downtime, um, I was bored one day, so I took all my stuff off, uh, my, my gear, my external gear, on a challenge or a dare from a guy that I was working with. Uh, we had a concertina wire roll on top of this large wall of T-walls. So, you know, who are they, seven, eight, nine, ten feet tall? <clears throat> anyway, so I climbed up there. And I crawled through it. And the challenge was, it didn't matter how long it took me to get there. If I could get there unscathed or even just get from one end to the other, if I come out the other side, he would pay me uh, 25 KD. Now, KD back then, the one KD, one Kuwaiti dinar, okay, so call it a dollar if you will, but one Kuwaiti dinar was worth $3.50 American. So I don't remember what it was, but it was close to 90 bucks. And I thought, holy shit. Okay. 
Anyway, I did it. And I don't remember the elapsed time was roughly 13, 13 and a half minutes to get across. Um, that apparently <laughs> got pushed out there. And within a few days, the official word came down that nobody, nobody is to try anything like that ever again. Now, I didn't get in trouble. <laughs> you know, I kind of heard about it, but I didn't get in trouble. They just, you know, later I found out that all the stuff that went on and at uh, Eric Jan that I'd been involved in, uh, that a lot of changes had been enacted as a result uh, in security procedures. And so I was as much a pariah as much as they didn't mention my name. They just said, this dude that caused all these problems, this is why we're doing things this way now. <laughs> and I heard that from new people that were coming up to Virginia. It's like, wow, really? And they're like, that was you. That was me. <laughs> you know, uh, Lucky me, right? It just kind of happens. Um, so between all of that stuff and the group of people who were responsible for for dispersing a grievance letter, for lack of a better term, towards and about CSA uh, that enacted a lot of these changes. The ones that I had said, hey, I'm not disagreeing, but just be careful how you go about doing this because you might just get more than you are willing to chew up, bite up. You might get more than, than you want. Um, so between all that stuff, uh, my so-called downtime shenanigans, <laughs> um, Let's just say that uh, along with a few other minor incidences, um, I'm not surprised what happened to CSA ultimately. Um, I am just surprised it took so long. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, because uh, I am by no means a rat snitch. Um, not at all. But I am, however, a true believer and a patriotic American who believes in doing the right thing, regardless of the consequences to self. Okay. Um, so there's many other tales that I'll tell my time in Kuwait. And I will tell, just not right now. Uh, but a friend of mine, some years later, after um, uh, telling him about some of this stuff, um, said, dude, I thought things like this didn't happen anymore. I said, well, they don't. Uh, for the most part, they don't. But they did for me. <laughs> you know. Uh, so while I worked over um, Oconus for, uh, from 2007 until 2014, I wanted to go back with an unrelenting yearning uh, for many years. Uh, I finally gave into the notion that I made the correct decision at the end of 2014, that I would have to live with my decision and that I would have to figure out and work out a new life and a new career back here in the States. Um, and yeah, it's still in security. Uh, so there's some other things I do too, but mostly security. Um, I've endured much hardship. Um, and as the saying goes, though, it gets in your blood. And it did. It got in my blood. Um, it kind of still is. I guess it never really goes away. I do think about it. Not as often as I used to, but I do. Uh, my time overseas, that is. You know, the people, the places, the experiences, the good, the bad, all of it. Uh, what's that saying? You know, what doesn't kill you? You know, when well, you get the idea. So where did I work? Which companies did I work for? What types of work did I do? You know, what were my experiences, some of the others and, and all the other stuff, um, all that and more in a bit. Um, but I'm home now. And I'm still married to that same beautiful woman I met in the summer of 88. Um, I have three children, uh, have a cozy home on five acres, even though my, my wife argues it's four. Uh, but, you know, whatever, <laughs> four or five, whatever. Uh, the, the trees and the grass are green. It rains here. It snows here. Uh, there's sun and it feels good here uh, when it shines. <laughs> um, but putting a wrap on this one, as promised, I would 
keep these episodes to between 15 and 30 minutes on average. Uh, some will exceed that. Uh, some will exceed that significantly, but perhaps many will include uh, many will include guests. Uh, but for the most part, I'm, I'm trying to tell the story, my story, because um, as the title intimates, and as has been pointed out to me, uh, that there is an apostrophe between the R and the S in the contractor's life, and so it goes. Um, so, thank you to all of you who have stayed the course and continue to listen to this podcast. I thank you to the new listeners. I thank you to all of you. That is all of the people whom I have come to know, um, have come in contact with in, in any of the countries, not just the countries I've worked in. If there is indeed a reason for everything, then there is a reason we met or came in contact. And I thank you for that. Special thanks to Kava Cohen and Colin Perry of Ninja Tracks for allowing me in this podcast to the use of Kava Cohen's song Heavy Clutch from the game, the video game soundtrack to Forza Motorsport 7. And thank you for tuning into this episode of Conus the Contractor's Life. Keep in mind every day that life is short. Cherish life and those in your life. Remember to be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. Stay safe by staying frosty. Until next time, Keep it real.